This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The End of Death Dying is a perpetual fear for mankind both for ourselves and for others we care about. Fear of death guides many of our actions through life, for most people, and humanity has continued to evolve and develop in order to prolong our lives as much as possible. In the SCP universe, death is a common horror, as countless anomalies are responsible for increasingly horrific ways for people to die, from civilians to D-class to MTFs and so on. An individual that's unable to die, such as Dr. Bright, Connor from the Confinement series, or SCP-076, can be a valuable asset or a dangerous weapon. But what if no one could die? What if death ceased to exist as a concept, and every person and animal had immortality forced upon them? The Foundation has considered the consequences of such a situation, believing the likelihood of it occurring to be near impossible. Today we'll be looking at a timeline in which that exact scenario plays out, called the end of death. Much like the Broken Masquerade timeline, this is a separate canon that combines both tales and various SCPs, so it's just a fun alternative look at the SCP universe. The end of death occurred instantaneously, like someone just flipped a switch. In that moment, death no longer existed as a fundamental concept of our universe, at least for animals. Nothing was brought back from the dead, and people don't become zombies or anything like that, but things just didn't die, regardless of damage done to their bodies. We get our first major look at how the Foundation handles things with SCP-3984. We're given a note left by a doctor working on studying the end-of-death situation, Dr. Emily Young. Two things become immediately clear. The Foundation doesn't know what caused this situation, and they don't know how to revert things back to normal. As it is then, their goal is to contain the situation, not from public awareness, obviously, but by preventing this anomaly from causing the breakdown of society. 3984 is interspersed with elements of a tale, in which an outside individual is reading through the document along with us, and commenting on various sections. This person comments, with some suspicion, on the fact that Dr. Young is deliberately telling her underlings to not bother looking into what caused the end of death. Perhaps some people in the Foundation know more than they're letting on. That brings us to the main portion of SCP-3984, then, in which the Foundation attempts to look into an alternative way of inducing death. Another remark mentions that researching any way into reversing the end of death, or looking into its origin, is strictly prohibited. The Foundation definitely knows more than they're letting on, specifically this Dr. Young. We learn that the end of death occurred on September 12th, 2020, at the time of the last globally recorded human death. 
The effect doesn't heal anybody in any way, doesn't prevent aging, and doesn't prevent injuries. Overpopulation is a primary concern then, of humans of course, but also of animals and insect life. It's predicted that widespread starvation will break out in 20 years time, and while governments around the world begin to work together to manage the situation, the SCP Foundation looks into innovative ways to kill people. These experiments are led by Dr. Young, and they become increasingly dark in nature. Things start off basic enough, as one D-Class is told to strangulate another, to no effect. Another D-Class is strangled with a belt, resulting in damage to the ligaments in their neck, but not death. Next, a D-Class is placed in a vacuum, with no oxygen, and left overnight. The end result was burst blood vessels, permanently impaired motor and speech skills, and widespread paralysis, but not death. Another D-Class is cut significantly on her wrists and ankles, resulting in the loss of 80% of her blood. They then reintroduce the blood back to her body the next day, resulting in the loss of sensation in half of her body and significant loss of mental capabilities. More D-Class are poisoned, starved, exploded, and so on, with not one of them dying. One D-Class was decapitated, and they remained conscious, but began showing signs of suffocation and blood loss before being put in cold storage. We learn that the individual commenting on this article is this D-Class, who apparently recovered at some point. More and more experiments occur, each resulting in incredibly grim fates for the D-Class, until suddenly Dr. Young seemingly decides to experiment on herself by shooting herself in the head. She severs her brainstem, disconnecting her brain from the rest of her body, resulting in her being unable to communicate or perform any motor functions. She is replaced on the project by Dr. Michaels. Dr. Michaels' first experiment involves lethally injecting a monkey, which of course doesn't kill it, but they learn that the end of death seems to also be preventing forced unconsciousness. Presumably, it's not preventing sleep or anything like that, but they were unable to cause the monkey to slip into unconsciousness through chemical means. The monkey ended up recovering with no side effects. They move on then to another monkey, specifically with the goal of inducing unconsciousness, using a variety of sedatives and anesthetics. Nothing works. Unfortunately, things get pretty rough for the next monkey, as they remove its brain from its skull, chemically dissolve it, and then run it through a blender for good measure. They then test this mixture to determine if any electrical activity is present. It would seem that the monkey's brain is still alive, as far as we understand it, but they couldn't determine if the monkey was still conscious. The summary of their research then is not that the end of death resulted in immortality, per se, but more specifically that it resulted in an inability for the brain to lose function, at least not completely. We then see a collapsible section at the bottom with the text, Damarung Restricted. If the word Dammerung sounds familiar, you either know some German, or you're acquainted with SCP-2718. I've covered 2718 on the channel previously, if you're interested, 
but basically it's a cognitohazard, an anomaly that affects an individual's mind, that causes them to firmly believe that they can no longer die. Instead, they will consciously waste away for all eternity. Damarung is a special containment class specifically designed for 2718. SCP-2718 predates the creation of the End of Death canon, but it certainly inspired it. Unfortunately, we don't get to see what's behind this restricted file, as the individual reading this document doesn't have access to it. The file is apparently called Project Damarung, and the person is determined to get into it to find out why Dr. Young spent so long experimenting on humans without reason, and why research into what caused the end of death is forbidden. They are interrupted, however, by Foundation agents, who capture the individual. We'll get back to the whole Damarung thing in a moment, but you might be wondering how the Foundation solved the insect problem. With exponential insect population growth and no way to kill them off, insects would quickly cover the entire world. Fortunately, the Foundation had created a chemical prior to the end of death that would turn out to be quite useful. The chemical, SCP-3287, is a sterilization gas that comes in three varieties, although it took a little while for the Foundation to realize exactly what each variety did. The first version simply sterilizes any living subject, preventing them from reproducing. The second version confused the Foundation for a while, as any of the D-class they tested it on seemed to already be sterile. The third version seems to have never been tested. Of course, what's actually happening is a bit of messing with the timeline, as the second version makes it so that the individual has always been sterile potentially erasing any children they might have had, and the third version makes it so that the individual's parents have always been sterile, erasing them. These versions can easily lead to some messy time changes, erasing quite a bit of things from existence. The Foundation authorized the usage of SCP-3287 after the end of death, allowing them to easily control population growth of animals and insects without messing too much with any timelines. A side effect of the temporal shenanigans, though, was that the Foundation wasn't even sure why so many animals were now sterile, blaming it on the end of death itself. Various SCPs related to death were also affected by the situation. SCP-1440 was an old, immortal man that caused the eventual destruction of anything nearby that was connected to humanity. He was now captured by the Foundation, pending reclassification to neutralized. SCP-2935, the cave that led to the completely dead world, was now just a normal cave. SCP-2718, the Damarum Cognitohazard, was missing from the Foundation's servers. In the years following the end of death, other groups besides the Foundation began looking into alternative means of death. Anomalous inventor Dado sold a number of pills, SCP-3866, to a medical facility in Florida that began to offer euthanasia. The pills didn't actually kill anyone, of course, but it caused individuals to enter a hibernation-like state, lowering their brain activity and slowing their heart rate to one beat every 34 days. 
It's estimated a human could survive for at least 3,000 years in this state, and so the medical facility buried patients behind the facility after administering the pills. Unfortunately, the drug would soon run out of their systems, causing them to return to normal. Marshall, Carter, and Dark caught wind of this, and began replicating the pills, hoping to make the effect last indefinitely. Thanks to some helpful research from Prometheus Labs, they created Hypnotraline, a similar pill that self-replicates inside of an individual's bloodstream, creating a permanent effect. They sold the pills for $5 million each, a high price, but a person would really only need one. A group in Russia later attempted to create their own version of Hypnotraline, but instead of causing hibernation, instead increased brain activity so that an individual would perpetually suffer from lucid night terrors. This bootleg drug spread to approximately 39% of Russia's elderly, sick, and impoverished, and those afflicted became known as screamers. Demand for hypnotraline spiked after this to neutralize the bootleg drug, so MC and D would later spread their own version of this faulty drug artificially create demand for hypnotraline. In return for their help, Prometheus Labs was able to develop a process for brain transplants, as human bodies began to decompose with age, and the wealthy were able to have their brains placed into younger bodies. 24 years after the end of death, the D-class that had been previously decapitated went to Dr. Michaels to ask her about Project Damaru and why research into the end of death was prohibited. Dr. Michaels dismisses the D-Class, but decides to look further into this so-called project. By this point, Dr. Michaels has had four brain transplant operations, each funded by the Foundation. It seems Dr. Young eventually makes a recovery from her gunshot to the head, and Dr. Michaels emails her about Project Damaru. She also emails her about her brother Tony, who used to work alongside Dr. Young, and apparently died ten days prior to the end of death, in some sort of heroic mission. Dr. Young is glad to provide info on both, and sends her a number of files. One of them is a draft of an SCP file related to Project Damaru, SCP-3448. SCP-3448 is a machine composed of various bits of technology used in MRIs and particle accelerators, and enhanced with various anomalous rituals. The purpose of the machine is to allow an individual to die while remaining in contact with the world of the living. This, in turn, is the primary tool used by the Foundation as part of Project Damarum to contain death. When someone enters the machine, they are placed into a half-death state, ceasing all bodily functions, but their consciousness is free to roam away from the body. Only one person so far has been successful in utilizing the machine outside of preliminary testing, Dr. Michael's brother, Tony. He is still currently strapped into the machine, as the Foundation continues to communicate with him through electrical signals. Tony's first few days in 3448 were very hazy, as his consciousness experienced various inexplicable images and scenes. 
Several of them involve insects, which Tony has a fear of. The implication is that death is a personal experience for everyone. Tony encounters a girl, who the Foundation first suspects is another half-dead individual somewhere in the world, but the girl resembles his sister as a child. The presence of insects continues to ramp up as large swarms of bugs begin to chase after him. The Foundation begins looking into any way they can to help out Tony while he's in this half-dead state. They decide that since any living thing that's half-dead gains access to this conceptual existence, perhaps they could half-kill an object. They acknowledge this is as dumb as it sounds, and they're grasping at straws, but they are determined to make Project Damrune work. They decide to send him a lighter by putting a half-disassembled lighter into the machine and turning it on while finishing the disassembly. Sure enough, it seems to work, as Tony soon has a lighter in his hands. The lighter looks like it helped out, too, as there are soon burnt insect corpses all around. Unfortunately, the girl was seen stabbing Tony with a sharpened bone, so the Foundation sends in a handgun. Things get really dark after that, with the Foundation receiving images filled with burning chains and skeletons and plenty of the color red. Tony uses the handgun to kill the girl, and the imagery changes to a blooming field with insect corpses raining from the sky. A few minutes later, the researchers receive a call from Dr. Michaels, telling them that her father wasn't dying, even though he should have. They then receive a call from O5-4, the overseer that approved Project Damarum, who congratulated them on their success and told them to burn all of their research. Earlier, I said that the purpose of Project Damarum was to contain the cognitohazard known as death. The Foundation, or at least just O5-4, apparently wanted to contain the Grim Reaper so that they could bend it to their will, making immortals as they go, or perhaps killing people at will. Unfortunately, they had absolutely no idea what they were doing, and they ended up shooting it in the head, killing it. Thus, the end of death, for everyone, with no way to bring it back. This is why the Foundation doesn't want people looking into what caused the end of death, because it was them, and there's no way to fix it. Dr. Young went on to research another SCP, SCP-4514, an anomalous switchblade. When the knife is used to injure an individual, and it causes significant damage to the brain, heart, respiratory system, or causes the loss of at least 40% of their blood, they will die. That probably sounds pretty standard for a knife, but the anomalous part is because of the end of death. This knife can kill people regardless, making it incredibly valuable. The knife was found in the year 2030, after a drunk killed another drunk, and a local paper published a story about it, as obviously that's a pretty remarkable occurrence after no one dying for 10 years. Dr. Young began experimenting with the knife, proving its capabilities, and D-Class began volunteering to be tested on. 
Eventually, Foundation personnel began volunteering as well, including a 149-year-old site director. Dr. Young was finally taken off the project by the Ethics Committee, who decided that they couldn't use the knife to kill everyone who wanted to die, so therefore it was unfair to be used on a select few. We learn a little later that the SCP-4514 document has been edited a bit, obscuring the origin of the knife. The drunk that used the knife was a Foundation agent, who received it as a gift prior to the end of death. The person that gave him the knife was Tony Michaels. We also later get a bit more information about 05-4, the man responsible for all of this. He had developed a fear of death after losing a number of family members in quick succession, and wanted to find a way to make certain individuals immortal. Obviously, he messed up, and immediately ordered the team to burn all the research so that no one found out. At the O5 council meeting right after the end of death, as the others began discussing population control and researching what happened, O5-4 asked why they needed to fix it. He was, at the time, happy for his immortality, but was worried that the Foundation would eventually reverse the situation. Ten years down the line, he proposed that they reclassify immortality as non-anomalous, the new baseline that they don't attempt to fix. The proposal passed, and life went on. One hundred years later, the world had completely adjusted to immortality, with people being born on the planet with no knowledge of death. Dr. Michaels and Dr. Young had joined up to go to the site of SCP-3448, where Tony was still hooked up to the machine, in a half-dead state. They began to work to try and revive Tony, discussing the possibility of putting his consciousness into a robotic shell, which will then go to a robotic afterlife where they can retrieve it. It's complicated to say the least, so I won't get into it. 05-4 finds out that they're poking around 3448, and is worried that they'll somehow reverse the end of death. So he sends in an MTF, the Red Right Hand, under the cover that it's a Chaos Insurgency facility. Meanwhile, Dr. Michaels enters the half-dead afterlife in an attempt to retrieve her brother. It's a unique and perplexing exploration log that I recommend checking out for yourself if you're interested in the tale where death used to live. She finds Tony in a field, they embrace, and she tells him she's here to get him out. He says he's not leaving, as he's been working on a way to fix things. He has a garden hoe that he apparently used to kill people while in this afterlife, but it stopped working as well. Eventually, Dr. Michaels ends up in another room with a teddy bear, which has been present throughout this afterlife. The teddy bear speaks to her, telling her that it's had a lot of conversations about death with Tony, and it thinks it knows what death is. It says that death is just the end of a story, and if the story doesn't finish, it spirals out of control and loses focus. Death is just the final page of life's story. 
This place is where, in the teddy bear's words, the deadlines for the manuscripts get enforced. Since communication is down, however, the authors of people's lives think they have all the time in the world to keep writing, with no end. So how does the story end? Perhaps not as climactically as you'd like, but the Michaels communicate with Dr. Young, who goes to visit their father, who was supposed to die at the start of the end of death. Dr. Young finds him in his apartment, and chokes him until he enters the half-dead afterlife, where he briefly reunites with his children before they use the garden hoe combined with Tony's knife, SCP-4514, to lay their father to permanent rest. Dr. Young then hangs herself, and she too is finally given her wish of death by the Michaels. Dr. Michaels and her brother are capable of permanently killing people, but it seems they can only do it when people enter this half-dead state, and since not many people end up there anymore, the end of death will continue to go on. There are plenty of other stories within the end of death canon. This was only a look at the basic premise and the main storyline involving Dr. Michaels and Dr. Young. Unlike, say, the broken masquerade canon, when things are wildly chaotic for a while, normalize, and then life is just pretty interesting, the end of death is decidedly depressing. Death is a common fear for many of us, and plenty of people wish for longer lives, for themselves or for loved ones. It's not unbelievable that a person in O5-4's position would go to such lengths just to stave off death for a few people. Unfortunately, it's easy to see that death is something that we can look at with bitter thoughts, but it's absolutely a necessary part of life. There are a lot of horrible and horrific things in the SCP universe that can kill you, but perhaps not being able to die is the worst one of all.